0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we're talking about humbling disclaimers, accusation audits. We're talking to the one, the only, Charles Mulbauer of CB Insights. Nick, would it be absolutely ridiculous to ask you why people might listen to this episode?
1: Well, I feel a little awkward saying this, Armand, but this has been hands down the most impactful episode for me, both from a discovery and a negotiation perspective.
0: Three, two, one, please don't hurt us, guys.
1: Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is gonna take you less than two minutes to do, Do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's Deal Acceleration Cheat Code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by seller's
0: This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.
1: All right, Charles, welcome to the show. You know, we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Number one, the I'm sensing tactic.
2: The idea here is to get to the truth of a prospect when you're sensing that something is off. That would sound something like, Bob, I'm getting the sense you're not seeing enough value from our offering. Is that fair to say?
1: Nice. What's number two?
2: The two outcomes. Assuming you used two outcomes in your upfront contract, which we'll talk about, toward the end of a discovery call or even a demo, you say, as I mentioned, Bob, at the beginning of our call, usually there are one of two outcomes from this conversation. Either one, you thought this conversation was pretty bad or awful, or two, you find it somewhat compelling and you'd like to talk more about it. I guess, where would you say you're at? Cool. Finish us off. What's number three? The scale, which is getting to the truth at the end of a demo specifically, and that would look something like, so on a scale of one to 10, Bob, one being this is the most useless product you've ever seen to 10 being, oh my gosh, why
0: didn't I have this six months ago? guess where would you say you guys are at? So let me get this, Charles. What I'm sensing is a real big tendency to look at the transparency sale and get to the truth as quickly as possible. And my question for you is, what are some signals that you can point out from your customers that tell you something seems a little bit off here and I might want to just blatantly call it out?
2: It really is an intuition, but a lot of times you'll get a sense from a prospect saying, you know, this has been really helpful. That's a key trigger, if you will, or you want to bring this back to the team and kind of circle back. Or before I see a demo, even I just want to kind of bring this to the team. Maybe you can send me some over some PDFs or presentations or what have you so I can discuss it and then get back to you. When stuff like that happens, it's kind of like a small red flag where I'm sensing based on the reaction I know I would normally get from a prospect that's actually really interested. I would know when something is off. And when something is off, I might even start saying, you know, Bob, totally understand where you're coming from. I get you want to circle back with your team. Can I ask you maybe a question off the record? Asking for permission to ask a question, which nobody says no to, and then following up with, I'm getting the sense maybe that you're not fully sold on our conversation. I could be wrong. Where do you think I fell short? So those would be the triggers.
1: So, what do you do when the guy comes in hot and he's like, Yeah, man, this thing is awful? How do you respond to that?
2: Well, that's actually a great thing because one, I want to know how he really feels about it. And two, once I get a sense of how the prospect actually feels, It many times is the beginning of a real conversation because I can get a sense of, oh, sounds like you were expecting to see something that you didn't see. I'm curious what you think that was. A lot of times the AE might explain something incorrectly or frame something incorrectly that will cause the prospect to do that as well. But a lot of times that's also the beginning of a conversation where something begins to be clarified and the prospect says, oh, You can't help me with this but
0: you might be able to help me with that and that's a lot of times where the real selling starts so the way that you phrase that too is you said here's what i'm sensing and you almost put it on yourself where you're like is there somewhere that i messed up or did some is there somewhere that where we missed the mark is that on purpose or do you just like is that just like your shtick that's two things one it could be three things one it could be just me two It gets rid
2: of uh, head trash or what a lot of salespeople call self-limiting records, right? So they're afraid to ask a question because they're not really sure how to ask it. So what they're really doing is they're taking their head trash, if you will, and they're transferring it over to the prospect so that the prospect kind of feels bad for you in a way, but in a very healthy way, not like I really feel bad for you, you need some help. But in a way where they're saying, Armand, No, that's okay. That's a normal question. I totally understand where you're coming from. I could see why you asked that. So it's kind of like preparing me, the salesperson, as well as the prospect for something that I might not be so comfortable with. And that gives them the chance to want to save me and also therefore be more honest with me.
1: Charles, I feel like a lot of what you're doing is you're breaking down this buyer-seller dance that a lot of people are used to where, the buyers got their guard up, but the seller does too, because the seller doesn't want to get hurt by asking the tough question where the customer says, yeah, I'm actually not going to sign this contract where I haven't seen value. And so you're breaking down the walls where both people are vulnerable in the sense that you're having a real transparent conversation. What else are you doing to break that down as quickly as possible?
2: It's actually a very good way of explaining it to create an environment of vulnerability. Another way we try and do that is by incorporating what is called a humbling disclaimer, which comes directly from the book, Question-Based Selling. I wish I created that on my own, but we love, love, love using humbling disclaimers to continue to break down the buyer-seller dance. A humbling disclaimer can look like anything like Armand I might be crazy for asking this question, but when you say that you have a problem with X, I was wondering how that affects Y. And you can also end, finish the question with another disclaimer, which is kind of looks something like, I'm just really looking to understand how you operate. And people respond to it. You're expressing that you're vulnerable. I actually had a salesperson say, he says to prospects, you know, I was brought up as a child not to assume anything, but it sounds like what you're saying is X. Did I get that wrong? And it's wild. There's another salesperson that I speak with that is very uncomfortable talking about budget. And this whole time he'd hold it in and he would hold it in and he wouldn't be able to communicate it well. It wouldn't be natural. It would sound awkward. So what he now does that kind of frees himself is uh, as, as he says, Nick, Nick. This is probably the most uncomfortable part of the conversation for me. But with that said, what it sounds like the best next thing to do is talk about pricing. Would that be okay? And it makes them feel comfortable and free and vulnerable. Sometimes the prospects will say, I totally get it. Don't worry about it. We have that too. And you can kind of connect in a way where you become closer, build a quote unquote relationship where they're just more honest with you.
1: So one thing I'm curious about is when you meet a new prospect for the first time, maybe you've got an inbound lead and they know that they're going to be talking with a salesperson and they're going into this. They have no idea what to expect. They could be talking to a great salesperson like Nick or, you know, maybe someone Armand's caliber. And so how do you (laughs) differentiate yourself right up front so that they're ready to have a real conversation with you?
2: We all know about the upfront contract. I think there are two parts to the upfront contract that we don't have to go into in detail, but we like to take the upfront contract and split it out into maybe three or four different mini upfront contracts where it's the obvious one, do you have a hard stop? Everybody knows that. And then the second one is naturally you'll have a lot of questions for me about what we do and how we might be able to help you. I don't know if we can or not. And I'm probably gonna have a ton of questions for you just to make sure that we are a fit. Not everybody is a fit for what we do. Would that be okay also? Right, so it's like a mini part, also kind of asking for permission, right? It's all about asking for permission. And then the third part is what I mentioned earlier, which is the two outcomes. And Armand, you know, of course, this may be obvious, but they're one of two outcomes from this call. We like to make a joke about it. So we like to give extremes also as part of it. We'll give two extremes. One is you really hate what we have to say. And two is, you're going to fall off your seat. So that those are the one or two outcomes from this call. Does that sound okay with you? And a lot of people get a laugh when you take a question, whether it's the scale or the two outcomes or any of these things, and you put the extreme level on it. People are not used to being spoken to like that. And they get a kick out of it. It reduces resistance. And when you get a prospect to laugh, I mean, that just makes
0: you feel way more comfortable. So
2: those, I'd say, are things that help
0: differentiate. So we talked about a lot of the tough questions that happen during discovery, but some of the toughest questions actually happen at the end of the call when you're negotiating. And so let's say after the scale, you've got your, your sixes or your sevens or whatever that might be. How do you think about framing up the next steps and asking some of those tough questions during a negotiation?
2: That's a great question. And the answer all depends on how the prospect responds to the scale. Some are more open, some are more closed. No surprise there. A lot of times I heard a prospect say, you know, Charles, at the right price or at a more reasonable price point, this is a 10. At the current price point, it's a six. Now, that's a very interesting answer that I received, actually that a salesperson that I work with received from an investment firm. No surprise there. In that scenario, I first want to clarify and then isolate. Got it. So just to make sure I understand what you're saying, Nick, what you're saying is if we hit the right price point, then we're at a 10. Did I hear that right? Yeah. Got it. Then I want to follow up with an isolation, which is, are you saying pricing is the only thing that's preventing us from working together? Or is there something else that I may not know about? Now, what I did there was I'm trying to isolate, but I also did what was called in question based selling a neutral disposition which is I gave a negative to my question at the end, which is instead of just saying, are you saying pricing is the only thing that's stopping us from working together? I'm also adding, or is there something else that I may not know about to help uncover something that maybe he or she did not tell me otherwise. So now I also, I want to isolate the problem, right? So if the prospect now says, Charles, yes, it's just price. Now I'm in a negotiating stage, pretty much, assuming I know how the decision-making process works, all that stuff. And I say, great. I guess I don't really know how to ask this using a humbling disclaimer and saying, well, what were you thinking, right? So now I'm negotiating. or beginning to negotiate before I tell you what I need to get that price point down. You might give me an unreasonable price point and then there's nowhere to go from there. You might give me a price point where it's actually reasonable. Now, if you do that, Now I might say, well, okay, out of curiosity, pardon me if this is an out-of-bounds question, but if we were to hypothetically agree to that price point, when do you think we can get an agreement signed? Now he may push back on that, right? But that is the beginning of an clarifying, isolating, and then like moving forward. That's the beauty, right? This is all the beauty of getting
0: to the truth. Are there times where somebody's trying to get you to a lower price point that you know is reasonable, but you sort of think they're just BSing and you decide to hold the line. If I feel that they're giving me a lower number than I want,
2: then I'm just going to give them trouble. So a lot of this Armand is I wanna do my utmost. Yes, as a salesperson, I wanna work hard. I'm gonna do what I can, all that that's given. I wanna do my best to get the prospect to work harder. So as opposed to me giving them a price when they say, give me your best offer, Or what's the best you can do? I don't want to do the work. I want you to do the work. Well, what are you thinking? Well, we don't know. Well, Bob, I'd love to help you. Nick, I'd love to help you. But if you don't know, I'm going to go to my boss. My boss is going to say, what happened with Nick? I'll say, Nick told me to give us his best offer. And my boss is going to say, Charles, I can't help you. Right? I'm the middleman as the salesperson. I'm the middleman. So at a certain point during the negotiation stage, I kind of want to come across as helpless, (laughs) almost. Like, I
1: don't have any power. So, Charles, what you're doing again, is you're breaking down the walls. The customer trusts you. They want to help you. You're the salesperson who feels awkward asking questions and they're like, no, no, man, you're good. Let me help you out. And so I want to keep this on the idea of negotiation around timing, because you do some interesting things where once you've gotten that customer to feel like they trust you, you'll almost ask them to coach you through certain things where it's like, hey, Armand, I, you know, I was supposed to hear from you or somebody on the team. Can you talk a little bit about how you get them to coach you through the deal once you've passed a certain point?
2: So a lot of times, let's say, we sent out an agreement, right? And they said, we're gonna have it by this date. And the date has passed, or something like that. So I'll send an email, (laughs) I'll say, hey Armand, and this is the truth, right? We have meetings with our sales managers, or CFOs, or whatever, VP of sales. Hey Armand, can I ask you for some advice? I'm having a meeting with my CFO tomorrow, He was expecting the agreement to come back last week or yesterday. I'd rather be more accurate than optimistic. What do you think I should tell him? So you're letting them do the work for you.
0: I am helpless at this point. We had Josh Braun on the other day and he was like, well, let me just take a step back here. You got John Barrows, you got Richard Harris, and then you got this middle-aged Jewish guy with a receding hairline. Why in the world would you work with someone like me? And you get them to start coming forward. And one of the questions that we love to ask is, got
2: it, Armand, based on what you told me, and again, there is such a thing. Yes, humbling disclaimers, you could probably use them too many times. That's totally fine. I'd rather use them too many times. Then not at all, right? So I might be like, Arman, you mentioned you're looking to fix this problem, assuming I was lucky enough for you to admit to a problem, right? A lot of people don't even do that. It's in a separate conversation. But if, you, if I'm lucky enough for you to admit to a problem or to hint to admitting to a problem, I might say, Arman, I'm not sure how to ask this, but is it fair to say that you've exhausted all internal resources to fix this on your own? Now, you might say, no, we haven't. I, as a salesperson, if I'm pretty confident and experienced, I might just push you away and say, well, why don't you just do that first, right? Why are you looking at someone like us? This is an example of me like pushing you away. That's kind of like at the end, me getting you emotional. There was a time where I said it on a call where I said, Nick, sometimes you'll come across a prospect Well, they'll say, Nick. Most of the time, right? Especially with Josh Braun, Josh Braun, who's fantastic. will talk about like most prospects don't care; they don't think they need help. They're fine. They're happy, which is great. And a lot of times, you'll talk to a prospect, and the prospect will say, "Nick, we're cool. We're fine. What you do is nice, but we're okay." And then, and this Armand probably goes back to the a negative assumption, right? A negative assumption recap. This is where in this specific scenario. This is where the negative assumption recap would come in. And I'd say something like, "Armand, correct me if I'm wrong. I could be crazy. But what I'm hearing you say is, Charles, the tone matters and the way I say it matters. I could be wrong in saying this, but what I think you're saying is, Charles, we are so good at X, Y, and Z that there's really no room for improvement. Am I getting that right? Usually they'll push back and they'll say, well, no, right? That's not, of course, there's always room for improvement. And then I'll say, I got it. Then what I'm guessing is you probably just don't believe that we can help you. Right. So I'm putting everything on you. Right. (laughs) And I had that sale a long time ago with a private debt fund and he came across. He's like, well, yeah, I don't believe you can help me. I don't believe it. So I said, well, if I were to be able to prove you wrong, do you think it would make sense to speak further? I'm not doing anything. All I'm doing is asking questions. I'm not selling. I'm not pushing. I'm not pitching. I'm just like, it sounds like you're amazing. Now, if a prospect says, yeah, we are amazing. We don't need you. I'd be like, great. Sounds like we're not a fit. Do you know anybody else
1: that this might be more relevant for? Right? It's just much more fun. I guess one last question I have for you is, are there other times that head trash and emptying it onto a prospect can be helpful besides like the discovery and negotiation side of things?
2: Yeah, the cold calls. Absolutely, the cold calls. You know, let's excluding the opener of the cold call, Right. Hey, uh, you have some 27 seconds if you don't have time to hang up on me. Right. Excluding that opener. The reason why you're calling. Right. And this is kind of like Josh Braun ish where he's using a humbling disclaimer. You might say, well, I don't really know if what I'm about to tell you is going to be very important. It's not important for everybody that we talk to. But the reason why I'm calling is X, Y, and Z. And I was wondering, to what extent do you think this might be relevant for you? Or do you think I called the wrong person? So I'm like neutralizing the question at the end. I'm giving a bit of a disclaimer in the beginning,
0: right? Well, I, honestly, I feel like such a buffoon asking this final question. But Charles, do you mind if I regurgitate the same question that I ask every single person that comes on this show? Please. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> most, most people we talk to come on the show and they talk about all the good habits. We rarely talk about some of the bad habits to break. If there was one bad habit to break every single rep in the world, what is that?
2: It's a hard habit to break, but based on transferring over a head trash and being vulnerable and trying to create an, a conversation of vulnerability, it helps us also to stop assuming things. That's a huge blocker for AEs to stop assuming. They assume for some reason that the prospect knows what we do. They'll assume that they know what the prospect wants. They assume that they know why the prospect wants it. And so how do you fix it? If you are assuming something in your head, we have a rule here, always clarify it. I could be wrong in assuming this, what I'm sensing is that you're looking for X and that you're not looking for Y, or I'm assuming that you're looking to accomplish this and not that. And most of the time, not most, I don't have any data on this, a good portion of the time, you are wrong about your assumption and they clarify that for you. And so the best way to get rid of the assumption is to use clarification questions. Clarification questions are one of the most underutilized tools in a sales conversation. There it is. And do you
0: have anything to plug with the audience before we jump off?
2: Nothing to plug really. If you wanna hit me up, Charles Mulbauer on LinkedIn. And if you wanna check out some cool information on startup disruption, you can check out CB
0: Insights. Let's do it. All right, everybody follow Charles, check out CB Insights and check out a 60 second recap email coming up soon, cheers. Number one, the humbling disclaimer, put it on yourself. Say, hey, I feel a bit crazy asking this question, but would it be absolutely insane to suggest X, right? Mm -hmm. Reverse psychology. Number two, use the scale at the end of your disco. You can say, hey, is this a one, meaning it's the worst thing you've ever seen in your life or is this a 10 out of 10? Number three, you've got to take the head trash out on your calls. The more you try to hide your emotions and your prospect's emotions, the less often you're going to get to the truth. And then number four, when you're in a negotiation, clarify the problem, isolate it, and then address it afterwards. Nick, how can people help us out here? So I keep seeing people mention the show
1: on LinkedIn and we're not connected with them. Like I've had a lot of people reach out to me and want to connect with me. And I don't know, maybe people feel awkward doing it. I'm. We're not that scary. But if you liked today's show and you aren't connected with me or Armand on LinkedIn, send us a LinkedIn notification and include a humbling disclaimer in your connection request. See you guys next week.
0: This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.